Welcome to Steeping Around. I am your host, Manish Shah, and we're taking back tea time, revealing all of the secrets of tea, answering the questions, and removing some of the mystery that uh, you may have about tea. This week's show is really a springboard for a number of discussions that we're going to have in the upcoming weeks about tea itself. Up to this point, from the beginning of the show until uh, last week, we spent a lot of time speaking about how to make good cups and glasses of tea, ways to make a great glass of iced tea or a wonderful cup of hot tea, as well as interesting ways to spruce up both of those types of tea. But now we're going to change direction and move forward with the leaf itself. We are actually going to delve into what tea actually is. Have you ever wondered what tea actually is? Is it just something you simply go to a section of the grocery store and grab a can of loose leaf tea or some tea bags and just make it? Are you really familiar with what it is and where it comes from? Well, a lot of it we know, but some of it we don't. One of the things that we really don't know about tea is exactly where it came from or how it was discovered. Genetic studies do tell us that the origin of the leaf of the original tea plants is somewhere in northeastern India, southwestern China, in the area of Nepal, and along the Himalayas. That's where the original plants of tea really come from. The discovery of tea is not widely debated, but there are some legends surrounding how humans became drinkers of tea. One of the uh, sort of popular legends of how tea was discovered is uh, due to a Buddhist monk by the name of Bodhidharma, and he was a prince in a South Indian family, and uh, he decided to give up his title and traveled north and moved to uh, regions of China to uh, study Buddhism and become a, a monk. And as the story goes, he's quite a famous monk, by the way. Um, he, has, he did quite a bit in terms of popularizing Buddhism in China. And this is around the mid-5th century, mid-6th century, uh, 550 AD or so. And one of the things that he is purported to have done was to have sat in one place and meditated on a wall. He did what was called the nine years of wall gazing. And while he was engaged in that wall gazing, uh, around the seventh year, he fell asleep and was very angry with himself for having lost concentration and falling asleep. And in a fit of rage, he sliced off his eyelids and threw them to the ground. And from those eyelids, arose the very first plants of tea, so they say. Now, aside from the general gruesomeness of that tale, the more likely story comes to us from China, and it's much, much older. This is now in the 2700 BC range, and there it is said that an emperor there by the name of Shen Nung discovered tea he had this habit of boiling water before he consumed it as a matter of good hygiene. And so 
as he was boiling water, some leaves fell into his pot that he was boiling his water in. And the story differs a little bit that the leaves were originally part of the fire that was created underneath the pot. Some of the legends talk about the leaves sort of gently falling into the pot. But regardless, uh, they fell in and he uh, consumed the brew or the infusion, not wanting to waste it, and felt uh, energized and uplifted. And so it begins. And... I suspect that it is probably along those terms because, truthfully, that seems to be how many things get discovered. Uh, the legend for the discovery of coffee happens to be that some goats uh, managed to nibble on some of the roasted coffee cherries, thereby consuming the bean inside the coffee cherry, and started to dance about very animated, and people wondered what it was about. And that is how coffee came into discovery. So I suspect tea has some of the same origins. What we do know is that by mid-600 A.D., uh, there are writings in Chinese, the Chaqing, which actually has full descriptions of tea and uh, many of its properties. And by the mid-700 A.D.s, tea was so popular throughout China that it was under consideration for taxation. So all of you who happen to think that the idea of taxation and tea being associated with one another is new. Not true. It goes back way back. It just happens to be making a comeback at the moment. So that's really the history of where tea comes from. When we come back from the break, we're going to move into areas of some greater certainty. I'm going to cover what tea actually is and I think you'll find it a little surprising what actually happens to be inside those tins of tea and those tea bags that you love so much. So stay with me. I'll be right back here on Steeping Around. Summer's here and it's about time you traded in those thick-walled tea mugs for a tall glass filled with you guessed it, ice. There's no better way to beat the summer heat than by sipping on a refreshing glass of tea, and the Maya Tea Company is here to help. With endless variations of green, black, and herbal teas featuring the finest flavors of summer, including peach, mango, and raspberry, Maya Tea has just what you need to coast through the season. So get that lawn chair, grab your iPod or magazine, and pour yourself a celebration of summer. Find your summer relief at www.mayatea.com, that's M-A-Y-A-T-E-A.com, and save 15% on your order by typing STEEP in the coupon code, that's S-T-E-E-P. Welcome back to Steeping Around, sponsored by the Maya Tea Company. I'm your host, Manish Shah, and this week we are talking about tea leaves, but at the moment, I want to talk about the tea plant specifically. That's where the tea leaves come from, and we really want to focus a little bit on the plant itself. Now, really, the tea plant is more like two different plants. One is called Camellia sinensis, that's S-I-N-E-N-S-I-S. 
and the other is Camellia assamica. That's A S S A M I C A. The words sinensis and assamica really refer to the origin where the plants were discovered or where they come from. Sinensis means Chinese in Latin, so therefore Camellia sinensis refers to Chinese Camellia, and Assamica refers to the region where the plant was originally discovered in Assam, India. So Camellia Assamica refers to Camellia from Assam. And pretty much all the tea in the world is made out of Camellia sinensis and Camellia Assamica. They share some similarities. They are both prolific in tropical climates. They really like regions where there's at least 50 inches or more of rain a year. They also do very well in mountainous or elevated climates. So they do well in mountains and up a little higher. No more than about 5,000 feet, but um, where the oxygen is just a little thinner. That seems to be a really good trait for both Assamica and Sinensis. They take years to cultivate. If you put in a, a little planting of either bush, it takes five to seven years before you can do really anything of any value commercially. The bushes are both kept short so that they can be cultivated. If they were allowed to just sort of grow wild, each would become kind of a small tree. But if you want to pick them, you got to keep them small. And so generally about three or four feet in height, and during the main tea growing season, which is generally from spring until the fall, about every seven to ten days, the top one or two inches of the bushes are taken off, all the fresh new leaves are removed, and that's what ultimately becomes tea. Seven to ten days later, off they come. During the entire length of the season, that's how tea is picked by hand. And while there may be some interruptions based on monsoon season and weather and so forth, generally that's how it's been handled for many, many years. There are some differences, though, between the two bushes. Camellia assemica likes it a little warmer. The leaves are a little larger. And the flavor is a little malty and earthy. So it is really used mostly for black tea. Now, that original Assam bush has been transplanted and moved into South India, Sri Lanka, and is now found in countries in Africa and even in South America. And so the bush is a little hardier and has been transplanted quite easily around the world, and it tends to be used almost exclusively for the production of black tea. So most of the black tea that you see that's out there is from the Assamica bush. Now, there's also the Sinensis bush. Now, that Sinensis bush really tends to favor the cold. It's got smaller leaf. And it is actually spread thanks to Buddhism. Tea and wine share some commonalities that are kind of interesting. The spread of wine can be attributed to Catholicism and Christianity, much like wine is the sacrament to the Christian and Catholic faith, tea is very much the sacrament of Buddhism. The reason being, tea has a little caffeine, and because of that, it helped Buddhist monks stay awake when they were trying to meditate. And so, as Buddhism spreads, so do the tea leaves. And that spread has occurred in the Sinensis leaf throughout China, Korea, Taiwan, and Japan. And those sinensis leaves 
really are the ones used for a lot of the green and oolong teas that are produced in the world. But you can produce both varieties, black, green, and oolong teas, either with Assamica or Sinensis. But virtually all tea produced in the world is from one of those two bushes. You might be asking yourself now, all the tea, all that stuff that I see in the supermarket and on the shelves at the grocery store, that's all really from two plants, Camellia assamica and sinensis? And the fact is, yes, variations of the individual plants, but virtually everything, all tea, is from those two bushes or variations of those two bushes. But the real mystery is how. How do we get from those two bushes to green tea, black tea, and oolong tea. And when we come back in our question of the week, we are going to start to reveal some of those mysteries and how tea comes to be. So stick around. I'll be right back with more here on Steeping Around. Here's a challenge. Go to your cupboard Dig out a tea bag, cut the top off of it, and pour its contents onto your kitchen table. What do you see? Anything more than dust? You're generally looking at the bottom of the barrel tea leaves, the crumbs that fall from the thick, whole, beautiful leaves that the Maya Tea Company uses. Did you know that you can greatly improve the quality of your tea by switching to whole leaf tea without spending one extra dime? Each pound of Maya Tea Company's decadent loose-leaf teas brews about 150 individual cups of tea, and you have an extensive variety of types and flavors to choose from. Would you like a green or a black tea? And how about flavored with raspberry or vanilla? The possibilities are endless with the Maya Tea Company. Plus, you can save an extra 15% on your purchases by typing the word STEEP into the coupon code at checkout. See for yourself at www.mayatea.com. That's M-A-Y-A-T-E-A.com and enter the word STEEP. And thank you for joining us here on Steeping Around. I am your host, Manish Shah. And I really enjoy answering the question of the week, and I encourage you to send me all of your tea-related questions. The easiest way is to just send me an email. My email address is steep at mayatea.com. That's S-T-E-E-P at M-A-Y-A-T-E-A dot com. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to inundate you with email from ourselves or sell your email address to anyone else. I will keep your email sacred as it should be. But if you do any tea-related questions, please fire them over to me. Another way to engage us in any dialogue that you have is to friend us on Facebook. We have Facebook sites for both the show, Steeping Around, as well as the Maya Tea Company. And as always, please visit our website, www.mayatea.com. This week's question is, what is the difference between green, oolong, and black teas? And it sort of ties into the original topic of the week as well. We spoke about Camellia sinensis and Camellia assamica and the variations of those two bushes as being the source from where tea leaves come from. So what are all the variations in green, oolong, and black tea? Are they connected with the bushes? And frankly, that's not the case. You can make green, oolong, and black tea from both bushes. The difference is in the levels of oxidation. Now, the word oxidation 
it's been a little misrepresented because a lot of books and a lot of websites talk about oolong tea and black tea as being fermented, and that isn't exactly the case. The truth is the process of turning green tea into oolong and then ultimately into black tea is really a process of oxidation, not fermentation. Let me explain a little further. If you take an apple and say that you cut it and leave it out for just a little while, you notice that the surface will go a little brown. It will start to darken. The same thing with you know a banana and many fruits. That process of darkening is called oxidation. Now, oxidation is different than fermentation. Fermentation actually implies that on some level there are microbes doing their job. And the smell, if you've ever had anything that's fermented, is a little different there. So oxidation versus fermentation, a little different process going on. So how does that relate to tea? Well, let's just use real life example. Let's say we have fresh tea leaves that have just been picked. If we don't give them a lot of time and essentially remove the moisture from them, say by pan firing them, and once they're dry, those would be green tea leaves. There is no oxidation on the leaf. It's just the pure green leaf. If we say, for example, perhaps bruised up those leaves a little bit by tossing them in, in the air and against each other, maybe crushing them a little bit or, or hand rolling them a little bit, thereby uh, getting some of that tea juice and the moisture from the leaf out, allowing it to darken up just a little bit on the edges, maybe darken up a little further even. Then remove the moisture. Those dry tea leaves would then be oolong. Oolong teas are teas that have been about 10 to 70% oxidized. If we allowed that oxidation process to continue to the end so that the leaves were really dark and after removing all the moisture they appeared black, that would be black tea. And there is the big ta-da. Green, oolong, and black tea essentially start from the same leaves, but go through a progression of oxidation, which then changes their character. There are other changes in terms of how much caffeine they have, the different variations in flavor, and antioxidants, and we're going to get into that in future shows. One of the things that I left out in terms of the main categories of tea was white tea, and if that felt like I was missing on that, it was on purpose. Next week, the entire show is going to be on white tea. We're going to cover what it is, where it comes from, what's the best way to brew it, and what are some of the health benefits of white tea. I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. Please do join me next week, and I look forward to speaking with you then. Until next week, enjoy your cups. Enjoy your cups.